Listener Production. Hi, I'm Anthony Matafari, and I'm the lifestyle editor at Car Sales. For me, when I'm out on the road on a road trip with friends and family, you tend to have conversations you wouldn't usually have anywhere else. So I thought it'd be a good idea to head out on the road with some well-known Aussies to get to know them a little bit better. Let's meet today's guest. Grandenia? Yes, present. Thank you for taking us along for the ride. Anthony, it is my honour to have you next to me. Thank you very much. Well, first of all, what are we sitting in? Before you start, would you like some of my nuts? If I had a dollar every time someone offered me... I've got some nuts here if you want. Just put your hand in and grab one of my nuts anytime right. you like. Well, I'll keep that in mind for this drive. Um, we are going through a park, so it seems very uh, illegal, but... Um... <laughs> it's good protein. Don't think any more of it. Uh, Grant, Danielle, what are we in today? We are in a Ford Ranger, which is my Ford Ranger. Are you enjoying it so far? Yeah. The new one's tough looking. I've always been a massive fan of an F-150. Hmm. And this new Ford Ranger is so close to looking like an F-150. It's rugged, it's tough, it's manly. The front end is meaty. It's got that American truck vibe. It's sick. I love it. Well, so far, the it's very comfortable. Mm. And there's a massive screen in here, which... It's enormous. Which is enormous, and I guess um, you can't really use it while you're driving. I'm sure there's a, there's a port somewhere to put up. <laughs> PS5 in there. When you're stuck in traffic, just play a bit of COD <laughs> or something with the Xbox. The question we'll ask every podcast episode is, are you a car person? But I'm pretty sure most of our listeners will know that you, Grand Genia, are very much a car person. When you have won multiple racing championships, done three Bathurst 1000s, and even raced in the Nürburgring 24-hour, I reckon I qualify as a car person. Only just. You just <laughs> scrape in. Well, I was driving from the age of seven. So, because wow. we grew up on a family farm. So, we've, we've had the same farm for 113 years. Oh, wow. So, driving the ute by myself at seven, doing shifts on the tractor at 12. Okay, so I'm in safe hands today then. Well, if we're ploughing a paddock, yeah, but I don't know, man. There's a lot of pedestrians. There's even horses around here at the moment. So. All right. Well, with that in mind, let's fire this beauty up and let's uh, go for along for the ride. Trust me? Uh, I guess so. Um, I think our insurance covers this, so let's uh, give it a go. Let's do it. All right. So you mentioned that you started driving at seven. Seven years of age, that's correct. How did that happen? Well, look, reaching the pedals is something I still have an issue with at 44 years of well, age. So you're on, sitting on our <laughs> yellow pages as we speak. So I used to sit all the way forward on the front of the seat and I'd sort of just hold myself up by holding the steering wheel and I would look between the top of the dash and the bottom of the top of the steering wheel, that little gap there. Were you by yourself or was there someone in there with you? No, nah, I was by myself, seven years of age. Mum, I'm popping down the shop to get some milk. Do you need anything? Well, I was going down the paddock to go and check on the sheep or collecting the mail from the front gate. Was that automatic or manual? It was manual. So, so you're doing the clutch or you're just in first gear the whole time? No, doing the clutch. Oh. It was an old Hilux ute. It had lived a hell of a life. And it even got to the point where I could tow a, a trailer of grain, right, out to mm. a paddock, say maybe in the summertime when there was no grass left for the sheep. I could put the car in first and they had this adjustable choke where you could dial it up and, or mm. down which is basically your car speed. So I could get out while the car is driving along, <laughs> get the feeder, open it up so it starts dropping grain out and just um, hope that I don't trip over and break my leg and the car disappears off into the distance. So you've been a workhorse from a very young age then? Yeah. I love, I love driving. 
I didn't feel like I had a hell of a lot to offer the world as a kid. I, I wasn't particularly very smart. <laughs> I, I just loved the feeling of manipulating a machine. You know, it brought me a lot of joy. I liked the focus that it gave me. You know, I think I've got a bit of an ADHD brain, so it's it's a bit scattered all over the place. So, driving a motor vehicle makes you the most present, you know, that you probably have ever been, and I definitely feel that in a race car. Do you come from a, a motoring family, or was that just something that you found yourself? Well, come from a farming family, so lots of trucks, tractors, and all hands on deck. You know, like to run a, a four thousand acre sheep station. You know, you everyone has to have a job you know there's only there's so many jobs to do and not enough people to do them so you just start to make the farm work you know you're bailing hay you're driving tractors you're pulling yourself out of the bog with another tractor you you know i remember uh, even at harvest time you know you, i was driving a massive truck uh, with no license only on the <laughs> farm just from the paddock to our silo but I felt like that was my calling. I felt like I finally had something to contribute to this world. You know, it was the fact that I could at least help by driving on the farm. So was your family full-time farming day in and day out? Did you have time to go on holidays and trips and kind of get away from that whole world? Well, my dad left the farm and he started a career in media, but he, he loved motorsport. So he did a little bit of racing himself and he actually uh, created the V8 Racing Ute Series. Oh, okay. So that was his idea. So the Racing Ute Series that you see racing today around Australia was was his concept. And um, and that's where I sort of started my, my full-time racing campaign outside of go-karts. And... Um, yeah, won lots of races there, and then Dick Johnson tapped me on the shoulder one day and said, hey man, time to step up and do some V8 supercar driving, and he gave me my first Bathurst 1000, so, which is an incredible, like, I'll just never forget that experience. When was the time when you were, you know, racing carts and driving on the farm that you kind of got to that point of, yes, I'm going to be a race car driver? Was there a moment, or did that just happen organically? We built a homemade go-kart, which we were, we were with a motorcycle engine in it, and um, I was thrashing that around the sheds at Mac 9, always sideways. Um, and I, it was, I somehow just managed to choose the time. Whenever my grandma would go out and just put the fresh linen out on the line to dry, <laughs> fresh white sheets is when I'd come past in my go-kart completely sideways and just spray them with you know, red dirt from the Riverina. Uh, of New South Wales, <laughs> and she'd come after me with the tea towel. Grant, Daniel, you get back in here. And I thought, mm, I'm pretty fast. <laughs> uh, maybe I should do this for a living. But I used to like, I'd sit down and I'd have tapes and tape piles of tapes of Bathurst One Thousands, and I'd go in into the farmhouse and um, I'd just sit down and I'd, and I'd watch those religiously. But I'd take my go kart seat and my go kart steering wheel, mm. and I'd sit there and I'd watch the onboard cameras of, you know, Dick Johnson had one in those days and. I'd turn every corner as he was turning it, and I thought, one day, one day I'd love to do this. Manifestation. Yeah, really. You know, yeah, absolutely. I, I believed it to my, to my core. You know, the very essence of me was, I'm going to be a racing car driver, and I'll do whatever it takes to make that happen. And we didn't have a lot of money, so you know, it, we had to do it sort of you know, the hard way. And I only got into television, to be honest, to help fund my motorsport, you know, to find sponsors so I could become a professional racing car driver. So... We're talking about getting into television. How, how do you go from, you know, growing up on a farm and, as you said, you weren't fantastic at school to finding yourself in television? Well, I was sort of hanging out on race weekends anyway. Well, there's two ways. I, in, I did work experience in Year 10 at a country TV station in Wagga Wagga. 
and I loved it so much, you know, just carrying tripods and washing the news cars. And I begged and pleaded, can I please come back every school holidays? So I'd travel, at that stage we were living in Melbourne with my mum and I'd travel up on a bus, 12 hours on the bus to get there, just to work in my school holidays. And I basically pestered them until they gave me a full-time job. So they taught me to, to write, you know, like a journal and you know, at night time, I'd secretly take uh, one of the cameras and one of the police scanners. <laughs> <laughs> and if there was like a, you know, a road accident or a house fire, I'd, I'd, I'd go out and I'd shoot it um, because I just, I wanted to know everything about the business. And I thought to be a really good presenter, you need to know how to do, how all of aspects of the game works, how to shoot, how to edit, how to write. And so, yeah, I, I kind of just rounded off all my rough edges by making a shit ton of mistakes in the country. Do you remember what your first um, broadcast piece was? Yeah, well, that's a really good question. I know the first thing I shot was a fatality. Oh. Yeah, and it was, it was actually really heavy. Um, I'd never seen a dead body before. So I'd gone out... There was no other journos available and I was only really doing sort of, I was just writing a couple of scripts, not doing any on-camera stuff. And all of a sudden there was this fatality and there was no one else available. And so I've gone out there and uh, it was a guy who was driving a Ford Capri, right? A topless Mm. car. And um, unfortunately he didn't see how wide the wide load of the oncoming truck was. And it uh, it decapitated him. Um, And it was, yeah, it it was a mess. So you turned up around the same time the police turned up? Yeah, so we were there and, like, I didn't know what to do. So I'm up there, we're just filming it, and the police are just talking to us like normal and no one told us to stay back. And so, you know, I I remember seeing all that stuff and going, Jesus, is this the game that I've entered? You know, this is where's the the trauma counselling after all of this. Imagine that. That, does that stick with you, those kind of things? Or after a while, new memories take the moment? I think I quickly realised that, you know, I wasn't a hardcore journo. Um, experiences like that were like, look, uh, yeah, look, it's for someone, but I'm not an ambulance chaser. I'm not really a political animal. You know, I, I wasn't very worldly at that stage. So I was like, mm, God, I don't know. Maybe I should branch into something else. And that was when I started helping, um, on the weekends, I was helping um, the, the television guys film the support categories for like Viet Supercars. So I remember like to get myself into national broadcasting and out of a newsroom, I was like, okay, I saw a cameraman struggling. He was trying to interview just one of the competitors in a support category in the paddock and he was struggling to hold the microphone and, and, and the camera at the same mm. time. So I just went up and said, hey mate, can I hold the microphone for you? And he's like, yeah, no worries. And then he said, can, can you do another one? I was like, yeah, yeah, no worries. And then so I'm holding the microphone and then I slip in a little question. <laughs> oh, so you set the fastest lap there. Uh, how does that make you feel? And the camera was like, all right, this kid knows what he's talking about. And when I started talking to people about the setup of the car, they're like, hmm, do you reckon you can come back tomorrow and next week and the next round? And before I knew it, I was a pit lane commentator for the V8 supercars. So have you found yourself in that situation or similar situations a lot through your career then? Because you've done quite a few different variations of, you know, television and radio and other stuff like that. You know, there's an element of the power of manifestation. I think there's also an, an, a willingness to have a crack at something even though you don't think you might not be any good at it, mm. to have a go anyway. 
um, because sometimes as a perfectionist, which I can be from time to time, you go, I'm not going to attempt this unless I know I'm awesome at it. And I'm guilty of doing this, you know. If, unless I'm, I'm going to be the best at it, I won't even bother. And that's a terrible way to live. Um, because you don't know of the wonderful opportunities that might come in from the side if you just have a go, if you just try it. You just, you, opportunity breeds opportunity. Hmm. So, yeah, I would just have a go, basically, and then the universe takes you whatever direction you're meant to be. Can we talk about your first car? Well, obviously your first car might have been the one you were driving around the farm, but what was your first official road going Ooh, I have my license it's uh, it's legal to do this still has a soft spot in my heart I'll never forget her um, she's glorious she was a 1987 white Toyota Corolla twin cam mm-hmm. and the twin cam uh, we had a couple of these in the family and they were a little hot rod for the time uh, 1.6 little liter little car uh, manual gearbox nice little tight close ratio um, pedals were nice and close together. It was a, you know, a leather-wrapped steering wheel. It, she was, um, she was beautiful, and I loved it because that was when you first get your sense of freedom in the world. Like up until that point, you're completely dependent on your parents um, for how to live, how to get by, how to get from A to B. And that I remember just the whole world opening up the moment I got my license. And it's like, it's like the colors were richer. The sounds were clearer. It was like, Oh, the possibilities are endless. (laughs) This is glorious. (laughs) And you know, I used to take, like, I just could drive anywhere. I'd go to the, I'd go to lookouts and I'd climb up mountains in the car. And I just, yeah, I, it was, I'd found my calling, yeah. Offering dates, um, roasted nuts and the like? Yeah, you haven't sampled my nuts yet. What's wrong with you? What is it, the appetizer at the moment? Maybe later down the um, track. I've got some plums later. (laughs) (laughs) Stopped up at the fruit and veg store. That's that's what's rattling around in the um, the tray in the back. (laughs) You've done some crazy things. One, reading up on you, yeah. One thing that popped out was that you have a few Guinness Book of Records yeah, under your belt. I do. Can you talk me through them? Well, they're they're an addiction, right? Because yeah. I used to work on a TV show called uh, Guinness World Records, and so, and that was about getting people onto the show to break Guinness World Records. And I broke one on that show, and that was the fastest to burst a thousand balloons. Right? <laughs> so I got that Guinness World Record. But the thing about Guinness Road Records is once you've got one, it's never enough. Mm. It's like my plums. <laughs> once, you, once you pop, you can't stop? <laughs> yes. And you... So I got one. I thought, oh, this is such a buzz. I need more. And then I had five in total. Wow. So some of them are cool. Some of them are not. So fastest to burst a thousand balloons. The most kisses on the face in 60 seconds. Jeez. <laughs> Who, who, who was on the receiving end of that? The last four people of it was were four police officers. Oh, okay. But that was a real... People were licking my face as they were coming past. It was oh. it was full on. That was like... Yeah. It, it was like a... It should have been sponsored by Zavirax. It was like... <laughs> Consort Central. Uh, uh, the world's largest underwater dance class. Oh. Um, and the, the really cool one was... the world's largest tandem bungee jump which which still stands oh yeah and um, pulling on the most pair of underwear in 60 seconds 
Which one are you most proud of? Uh, the underwear one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, the bungee jump one was insane. I did that out of a helicopter over Bondi Beach, live on television, um, with the guy who invented bungee jumping, who's AJ Hackett. And uh, he turned up and he'd had the biggest night of his life. His eyes were bloodshot. And I'm like, my life is in this guy's hands. It was, and we nearly fell out of the helicopter on the Gosh. way to Bondi Beach over the city. So, Was that for um, Sunrise? Yeah. Because I would say... Sunrise, you are synonymous with Sunrise, even though it was many moons ago. You've spoken about that time and you seem to be a very different person now than you were then. What, I guess, are your memories, well, the the key memories from that? It was the greatest experience of my life. I could do whatever I wanted from wherever I wanted. So if I wanted to stand, you know, at, at Uluru tomorrow, I could. If I wanted to wrestle a crocodile in the top end the day after, I did. Um, if I wanted to jump out of a helicopter and send a Guinness World Record, no worries. So it was it was limitless, right? But, you know, I, I was on a plane. In three and a half years, I had 750 flights. Jeez. So you're in a different part of the country every single day, and you had to because that's... It affected the ratings. Yeah. If you turned up in a different part of the country every day, the ratings would go up. If you were somewhere remote or doing something cool, the ratings would go up further. So there, I'm a competitive little bastard, and so I was addicted to the success of the ratings, and therefore we were really pushing the envelope. And we're doing some pretty sketchy stuff at times. Mm. And it just, I ran into an absolute heap. So I, I pushed and pushed and pushed. You know, I was racing at the time, filming lots of other TV shows. So I could be Monday to Friday in a different part of the country every day. And then on the weekend, I'd rock up knackered, you know, racing a V8 supercar at 300k an hour. Um, and it was just, I wasn't listening to my body and it just fell into a heap. It just shut down. It just, I was, had massive chronic fatigue. I was, I was, excuse me for swearing, but I was fucked. I was absolutely fucked. And how long did it take for you to recover from that? Or did you ever recover from that kind of, I guess it's an emotional toll as well. I, um, the hard part is, is you're, when you're operating out of adrenaline every day, which live broadcasting gives you, let alone the stunts you're doing, Mm. um, you're depleting everything, you know, you're running on adrenals. So it, I reckon it took me three years to recover, to be honest. So I had to do a fair bit of work to try and get my health back in order. And there was a point there, I went to the doctor and they, and they examined my organs and they tested them and they said, you know, they were running at about 7%. What? And they said, if, if you don't do something drastically, you're going to die. And soon. And that's when I was like, holy shit, this is serious. I need to, you know, I was trying to push on. Um, and I realised I just had to give in to it. Forget about television. Forget about success. Forget about ratings. And just focus on my health. Because it wasn't going to end well. Because was that... A similar time period that you had a quite a big accident in a monster truck. Yeah, see, I reckon that was the first. That was the universe trying to tell me the first time to slow the hell down. Mm. Um, I was just in a monster truck. I was really enjoying driving those, like jumping over cars, getting airborne, and jumping five cars is amazing fun. Mm. Um, Please don't do that in this car, though. <laughs> you sure? There's a couple of cars <laughs> over here. I don't know. The range is pretty high, man. I reckon we could do it. Uh. <laughs> And I, I was fatigued. I'd just done 
the Phillip Island 500 in the supercars, so the race before, the endurance race before the Bathurst 1000, um, making chronic amounts of television, uh, doing Australia's Got Talent as well as Sunrise. And, um, yeah, my back broke. You know, when the car, when I landed in the monster truck, it just blew my L1 into 11 pieces. Like, it absolutely obliterated it. Uh, And I now know that, you know, it was, something was trying to sit me on my ass, you know, to to change my lifestyle. But unfortunately, I I, I did recover from it, but I, um, I didn't learn my lesson. I, um... I thought I was invincible. Recovering from a broken back and going, how good am I, you know? And then now winning more races than I'd ever won in the Super 2 series. Mm. I was like, yeah, I'm Superman. Nothing holds me back now. And I went harder. I Mm. went harder. I was like, life is giving me this second chance. I'd be crazy if I didn't squeeze every drop out of it. No, I'm I'm going harder than I've ever gone. This is a gift. Didn't listen. Didn't listen. So I just ran myself into the ground again. And... You know, out of arrogance and ego, um, you know, I needed to be famous again. I needed to win more races. And I just didn't learn the lesson that the universe tried to teach me the first time when I broke my back. So, you know, it took, um, it took two lessons to learn. You don't want to make it three. Because mm-hmm. the third one could be a permanent one. And we have, you have not gone close to the third one? Or has no. it <laughs> you stayed away? I'll put the work in to make sure that it doesn't get to that from now on, yeah. Um, well, you know, flash forward to now, you're, you're married, you've got three daughters. Yep. How, how is Father Grant Denyer different from race car Grant Denyer, TV's <laughs> Grant Denyer, you know, farm Grant Denyer? Um, yeah, I think it's my duty to expand their horizons. You know, first and foremost as a dad, you've got to make sure that they're safe and they feel like they are loved and nurtured. Um, you, when you've got those principles covered, you know, I think you're, you, the potential for your kids is limitless. Mm. A lot of people go to me, oh, why do you still race cars? You know, you're a dad now. Particularly after breaking my back, everyone was really hard on me for still racing and still doing, you know, stunts and stuff when I'd broken my back. And I was like, you know what? I could wrap myself in cotton wool, but what kind of a life would that be? Mm. If I just sat on the couch and did nothing, is that living a life? And yes, I could be home every single day um, for my girls, or I could go and live a life by example and live your dreams. You know, make great television shows. Do a bit of racing if it makes you happy. You know, the one thing that you need to find, I think, to to exist in this world that we've got now is something that that sparks joy. And if that's not your job, well, find something that you can also do that sparks joy. With um, them now, do you take... Is there things you do with them that you didn't get to do as a kid? Or are you... Because you live on a farm now in um, regional New South Wales. Is that kind of a trying to tie your childhood with, you know, what theirs is? I think that the farm is the farm is trying. Well, the farm gave me a great life growing up, right? It gave me a great understanding of the circle of life, animals, you know, our place in the universe. You know how we work with the grasses to grow wheat. You know, so we live as a society. You know how you can look after animal welfare. You know, it gives makes you a more compassionate person when you when you are like that. Um, you know, I want their vision to be also outside their neighbourhood. You know, I want them to. 
it's very easy as a kid to get caught up in the vibe of your street, the kids that you live with, you know, the community you're around. But, you know, I want their vision to be a little bit further up the road. Um, giving them a little bit of a, a rural life, but also we spend a lot of time in the city because that's where we make all our television. Mm. It's sort of the best of the both worlds. And, you know, I, I have no expectation for my daughters. You know, I don't care what they do. They could be garbage people. They could be <laughs> scaffolders. I don't care. Dentists, as long as they're happy, you know. Yeah, How do they go with that commute? Are they good in the car? Is it... Is a Denya family road trip something they look forward to? Um, no. <laughs> they're, they're not big on riding in the car, but they love getting to a hotel because yeah. everything's exciting when you're like seven years of age when you're in a hotel. And, they, you know, they and go, it's not oh, your house. Well, they go in and they're like, they go in and they go, oh, Dad, you won't believe it's got a toilet in there. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, what are you expecting? Of course it's got a toilet. We've got one at home. Why do you want to go and get a toilet elsewhere? And why they they open every cupboard? Like, yeah, I do that too, to be honest. <laughs> if it's a nice hotel, I'm so like, sad. where's the free stuff? What's in here? Yeah, I. Um, what do I give them that I didn't get myself? That's a really good question. Well, like, did you go on road trips as kids? Uh, yeah, because a little bit, because to get back to the farm. So when we no longer lived on the farm, so my uncle now, he, he continues to run the farm. Uh, but when Dad moved off the farm, yeah, we, um, we would we'd, we'd drive back there, you know, a lot. And my mum and dad separated, so, you know, we we travel up to Queensland to see dad, you know, and, and sometimes during the school holidays. So, yeah, road, part, road, road trips were definitely a part of our life. But, man, I don't know how we did it without iPads. Holy hell. I, can't, I think I must have just sat and looked out the window for eight hours straight. So you didn't... No games, no... Because nah. one thing um, I used to do, because I grew up in Canberra, so we used to drive up to the Gold Coast every few years. And... I, I think I might have been 12 and, you know, had my own pretendable radio station and I had oh, like... did you? Yeah, it was called A98FM. Oh, that's so cute. And, that's cute. And um, used to get little cassettes and record talk breaks and then we'd play music on oh, it. I used to do that too. And my parents, God bless them, really humoured me with it and they'd, get, they'd played it, they'd listen to it. But Oh, that's gorgeous. So I feel there is like a group of media nerds out there yeah. that we all... So you I had two tape decks, right? Yeah. And my sister's, sister's Fisher-Price uh, record player. Oh. And, we, and I only had one album for that, and it was uh, Burton Ernie. Uh, <laughs> and so, so I do the talk breaks as well. Hi, this is Grant, and uh, welcome to my radio station. And uh, coming up next, it's uh, that other classic by Burton Ernie. Here it is now. It's five after nine, traffic and weather next. And then I'd play that Burton Ernie song. And then I'd have two, one tape recorder was um, to record um, everything that was going on, mm. the whole thing. And then one was to add one more song to the, to the mix, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. So DJ Grant in the house. Oh, man. She didn't like it though when I learned to scratch oh, yeah. her, her Fisher-Price because it scratched really well. Well, I guess in a, in a you know, new you know, millennia way, you've got your own podcast now with your wife, Shezzy. Yeah. And in a way, that is kind of being a, doing talk breaks at home. It really yourself. is. How are you finding you're doing that kind of podcast? Because it is about both of you and have said about in the media about you and you're kind of debunking them. Yeah, like we, um, it's called It's All True, question mark. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was, so much stuff gets written about us um, that it's so laughable. We thought, 
we had no right of reply, really. Mm. We're like, how do we put the record straight? And we thought, well, let's let's take the power back. You know, these magazines are selling so many copies based on whatever fabricated lie they want to put on the front front page. So if we have a podcast, we can laugh about it and and put the record straight and and sort of control some of the the narrative ourselves because it was just laughable some of the things that they were they were saying and you know the podcast became a place where we could say all the naughty and juicy things that you can't say Mm. on commercial television what has been the most outrageous untrue thing you've ever seen about yourself oh man go where do you start um i remember There was a picture of me on the front page of a, of a women's magazine with a picture of a baby. And it was saying, meet Grant's new baby boy, the boy he's always dreamed of. Um, but it was a picture of my daughter from oh. nine years earlier. <laughs> so it's like, well, A, I don't have a boy. And uh, ha- of course, that's going to be obvious to the world that I don't have a boy. And yet... It's also a picture of my daughter Sailor from nine years earlier. So it was like, it's crazy. How do you navigate that, being a public figure, having unsubstantiated claims said about you, some, you know, true things covered but then blown out of proportion? How, how do you navigate that? That stuff's, um, the, the silly stuff is all right. It's the stuff that's, um, it can get nastier, you know. It can get it can get really ugly, you know. They accuse us of, of drug addiction and all sorts of stuff, and that's, you know, I got I got kids that got to go to school, yeah. you know. I got to pick up um, my kids at school, and then you wonder whether the other mums that are there are thinking the worst of you, and that's that's really humiliating, you know. That's 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 it's painful and embarrassing. So, you know, you've got to draw the line somewhere and, um, you know, we've, we've, we've taken action a couple of times and that's sort of helped stop it because they just push too far. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's really tricky. It's, I, can, I can cop it because I signed up for this, you know. I joined media and this is an unfortunate side effect of being in the game, you know, but I've got to protect my wife, mm. you know. That's, she didn't sign up for that and... and my kids have got to face the other kids in the playground and, you know, so, so if really particular, ugly, nasty and, and hateful stuff gets written about you, you know, that's where we were like, you know what, I'm tired of this and we stood up and we've taken them on and shut them down. So, yeah. Well, before I let you um, drop me off... Um, nuts? And I'll take the nuts, yeah, yeah before I head out. If you had to describe your life like a, a journey. So, you know, road trips and journeys are twists and turns, ups and downs. How would you describe your life? I would describe my life... Um, I go on the road trip for the sheer enjoyment of the road trip, but I'm okay if I hit a few speed humps along the way and the car breaks down. And sometimes when the car breaks down, you stop and you manage to have a look around and see something and you'll see the beauty of something that you would otherwise have never seen if your car hadn't broken down. And that's when you meet the best people in life. That's when you learn the most important lessons. And then when you learn from that and you fix your car again, the the rest of the journey is so much more enjoyable. Yeah. And Grant Daniel, this has been a very enjoyable journey. Thanks for taking me along for the ride. It was a hell of a lot deeper than I thought it was going to be. Oh, well, you know. I didn't mention kilowatts once. What's going on? Well, we'll save that for one of our other podcasts. <laughs> I'll take the nuts now. <laughs> 
Along for the ride is a listener and car sales production hosted by me, Anthony Matafari. Producer is Kelsey Menzies, audio by Kelly Fulston, and executive producer is Todd Stevens. Listener.